Lake Effect continues on WUWM. I'm Mitch Tyke. And I'm Bonnie North. We're focusing on agriculture's significance in southeastern Wisconsin this summer during a series we call Full Plate. We are a long time removed from the era in which farming represented the majority of the region's economy, however. But there are still many people who make a living on the farm in this part of the state and the region. A few years back, we spoke with Chicago writer Anna Blessing, who profiled some compelling stories of farms in Wisconsin and across the region in a book called Locally Grown. As part of our Full Plate series, we'll revisit that interview on today's show. In her acknowledgments in the book, Blessing termed the farmers she met heroes, and she explained to us why. Once I really started to get to know these farmers, and it started just being an eater and a shopper of farmers markets and just getting to know the farmers who I was shopping from, it made me want to know so much more about them. And it kind of was what started this whole book idea. And once I really started to get to visit their farms and see what they're doing, they are my heroes because what they are doing is some of the hardest work that I've ever seen in my life. You know, it's they work from literally dawn till well past dark, frequently lighting their fields with headlights to, you know, harvest. And they're such hard workers, and they do this thing that's so unpredictable, that's so based on the weather, and it's so hard. But they are, they're so creative. These farmers, the way that there's farming in this small-scale, sustainable, I say artisanal, because I think that they're, it's not just about growing 2,000 acres of corn. It's about growing this variety and these heirloom vegetables or these heritage breeds of animals that is... It's truly, it's a, it's an art form, and what they're doing it is just, it's that combination between the science and the art, and they're doing this very essential thing, which is growing food for us to eat, and so that, I mean, that's that's superhero to me. <laughs> <laughs> what what were you shooting for as you cast your net? So was there a certain geographic diversity or ingredient diversity, I guess crop diversity that would be? Absolutely. I was looking for diversity of types of farms, scale farms, um, and definitely throughout the Midwest so I could get kind of just a cross-section. You know, it's not comprehensive. I hope people go and seek out their own farmers, that, you know, the stories that they can find in their own regions. But I started out with talking to Chicago chefs, and I asked them, who are your favorite farmers? Who are the ones, you know, who you've worked with the longest or who are doing things, really neat things, you know, with their farms and what they're growing or raising? Um, and that was sort of started my list, and I started kind of compiling it from there. How did the chefs reach out and find these farmers? Because many of them are, are really off the beaten path. Absolutely. And, you know, in Chicago, it's such a it's such a great community of chefs who really work together and share their resources and their farmers. So maybe it started with a handful of chefs like Bruce Sherman and Rick Bayless who have been doing it for the past 20 years. And it slowly has just been growing since then, you know, and it's those farmers or those chefs rather helped get farmers to the farmer's market in Chicago. A lot of chefs actually just found their farmers through going to places like Green City Market in Chicago, um, talking to other chefs who who work with farmers saying, what's your list? Who can I find? And, you know, they really share that information. It's a great community. Well, and I gather there's uh, some uh, conversation that goes the other way. A farmer is looking for someplace to uh, to sell his or her food mm-hmm. to. And if this chef can't use it, the chef might know of somebody else that can use it. Exactly. And I think that's one of the, the that's one of the biggest focuses of my book is that there is this community. It's so dependent on this community, this this whole local food movement between the community of the farmers, the community of the chefs, and then, of course, the relationship that they have together. And I think that the farmers have done such an amazing job of starting to organize themselves. So, you know, may, maybe a farmer is able to reach out to chefs so they had a connection, but there are these communities, these areas that are getting together and finding ways to reach chefs. So there's a there's a Spence Farm in, in um, Illinois, 
Marty and Chris have Stewards of the Land, which was started in 2005, and they actually organize um, 25 local farms. And there's smaller farms that might not be able to have, you know, the resources to reach out to chefs. And they sort of compile everything that's available and present it to the chefs every week. So that's a really cool thing, um, a way to kind of reach chefs that way. Um, it's like an unofficial co-op. Exactly, exactly. And it's a way that, you know, more farm- farmers who really wouldn't have the resources to be able to reach those chefs in maybe other cities can can do that. Rink, DeVee, and Jenny Bond at... Um, Shooting Star Farm here at Mineral Point, Wisconsin, they kind of do a similar thing with Green and Green, and they kind of bring these farmers together so that they can sell their food to chefs elsewhere. How does what these farmers are doing speak to both the diminishing numbers of family farms out there and and also the rise in sustainable farming practices? These farmers, and part of the reason I really wanted to focus on them and tell their stories is because they realized that they had to, I say, refashioning the family farm. They had to th- find a new way to do it because these, the farms that were in existence that were generational family farms, um, places like Gunther Farms or um, Becker Lane Organic, those are farms that have been around for four or five generations, and they were failing because of the, the major industry, huge farms that were pushing them out. Right. Was it Becker that uh, that was at one point selling their uh, their pigs for the same price that that, w- that they yeah, were selling absolutely. for in the Depression? Yeah. I mean, both of them, because they're both hog farmers, and that's exactly right. And it's they realized that if, if we're going to make this farm work, we have to do something different. So they were they, they used the same methods that maybe the grandfather was using, keeping the pigs outside, you know, keeping that same sustainability that was sort of a natural, inherent, traditional farming. But then they started to reach out to chefs. And in some ways, chefs have really become they're sort of the baseline for this movement succeeding. They're the spokesman for the farmers. They support them. They allow them to do these creative things. I mean, um, Greg Gunthorpe, with his hog farm, he actually has a USDA-certified processing plant on his farm, which is unheard of because it's he's so small, and that's the USDA doesn't just go throwing plants everywhere. You're right. He had to to drag them kicking and yes, screaming to exactly. come out there. <laughs> exactly. And that, and he probably couldn't have done that if he didn't have the support of these far, these chefs who wanted his his meat and he wanted to be able to process it in a way that he approved of and he wanted to be able to butcher it for, you know, cuts that chefs would want. So it's this, this relationship is so important. You know, a lot of these farmers um, have transformed the family farm and, and made it so that they can survive on maybe 120 acres. But it's, it's really important to have that, that relationship with those chefs. The other thing that uh, that that you write about uh, that shows up quite a bit is, is really the sense of loyalty these chefs have to many of these family farms. Yeah, it's. I always say that chefs are hard to pin down, except when you ask them about their farmers, and then you can get them to sit and talk for like hours about <laughs> their farmers. I mean, it's. They just, you know, they and every one of them will say it started out with finding food that tasted good. I mean, that was the first priority. You know, we wouldn't do this if the food didn't taste good. But then, once they got to know these farmers, and I think once everyone gets to know these farmers, there's so many stories, and they're just these these people with these rich histories and interests, and and they're irresistible. You know, and I think the chefs have developed these relationships that it is so much more than just, you know, a farmer providing food to a chef. And they become they become friends and they become practically extended family members and they collaborate on things together. And it's this really, really cool relationship. Would you say are these farms together almost developing a template for how it can be done? I think they are. I mean, I think, you know, we're still trying to find a way that it can be done in a scalable way. It is sort of based on a network and patchwork of farms. You know, and even the chefs who are working with farmers, one farmer can't provide everything that chef needs. So, they, you know, a chef may work with as many as 40 farmers in a given year. But I think that these farms are the way to, I mean, they are providing models. And that's part of the thing, too, is that I wanted to, I wanted to tell their stories and I wanted to celebrate them. But I also wanted to provide 
maybe a template or guides. And that's why I also asked farmers to provide their resources and inspiration. So, you know, maybe other farmers who are looking to do this can kind of have a starting point and hopefully we'll reach out to these farmers and get some some advice. Well, and scalability seems to be a big issue because uh, it seems like there were plenty of these farmers who started it out. But once once a chef and a restaurant is interested, there there has to be a consistent supply. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that they're just now kind of, I mean, over the past 10 years, farmers are really learning to do that and trying to trying to make that work. And I think that as, as the relationship sort of evolves, I think the chefs will realize that they really do need to kind of support these farmers in a consistent way. So maybe it's not just about showing up to the market or seeing what's on the email list for that week, but saying, I want this many pounds of tomatoes from you every week. I want this much, much red bib lettuce from you every week. So it's kind of a, that part's dependable for the farmers, and then they can go off and do creative things and grow smaller crops and... Well, right. Uh, variety is is an interesting issue as well because these are typically much smaller than than commercial sized farms, but that does not mean that they are producing fewer varieties. Not at all, and they do that through. There's a lot of crop rotation, so they're switching up their crops a lot. I mean, the varieties are just unbelievable with some of these farms, and that's what's so exciting is that they're able to produce so much variety within a small space, and that's also what what makes it that they can survive and they can stay viable to the chefs. It's significant to note that not all the farms you profile in this book are, strictly speaking, organic farms or or certified organic farms. But that is not to say that they don't all hew to an organic or sustainable philosophy. How does that equation work for these uh, these farms? I always say to people who are so used to looking for that designated organic label that you it really is just about getting to know your farmer. You know, we hear that so much, know your farmer, know your farmer. That's that's what you need to do because certified organic doesn't quite mean what it used to. It's gotten a little bit watered down. We're used to looking for that label as being sort of, you know, okay, this is okay now. And it's, that, been, it's been blessed. Yes. Right. And and that's and it's a good starting point to start thinking about food like this. But when if you don't see it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that farm or farmer is not growing organically. And it might be that just the, the cost was prohibitive for them to get certified organic. It is an expensive process. It's a tedious process. Um, and I think when it comes down to it, and there are places like McClug or Seelene, Southwest Michigan fruit farms where it's nearly impossible to grow fruit organically. Um, that doesn't mean that they don't take, you know, major measures to, to grow as sustainably as they can. They use integrated pest management to try to track their pests and manage it that way. Um, what people, I think, think is that when something's certified organic or when something's organic, that means that it's, you know, you, you plant your seed and you let it grow. And that's not true. There are still sprays and inputs. They're just organic input. And, in fact, McClug, um, and speaking with, with Abby Klug, there are chemical, organic chemicals that are allowed to be certified organic that they wouldn't use and they wouldn't feel comfortable using on their crops because you do still have to spray those crops, those organic crops. So it's just a matter of sort of the balance of it. And, you know, so I think I always tell people you just really do have to ask your farmer. If you don't see the USDA certified organic it doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy from them. You need to get to know the story. And and again, even if uh, even if they are not certified organic, there there's a certain interest in sustainability that that all these farms have that you profile. Absolutely, and I think that these farmers are interested in in keeping the land healthy and sustainability, not just with the land and how they're treating their crops, but you know, paying living wages to their workers, just the kind of the whole system that they're interested in farming sustainably. But, you know, I think that they would all say, too, is that when you grow this way and you really use the what nature has put out for these, I mean, what, what the systems that nature has, that's, the, you know, your soil's healthy, your food tastes better. You know, your soil is rich in nutrients, your food has more nutrients. So it really just becomes this, sometimes it's more work, but it makes sense once you start tasting that food and you, you, you see it. So I think that that's another really inspiring thing is to, to see that happening and working. This must have been kind of a fun assignment. 
It was such a fun assignment. I feel um, so lucky to have gotten to just go hang out in farms all last summer. More and more, you know, we don't go to farms. We don't experience being on a farm, and I certainly hadn't. And getting to visit all of these farms, it was, I mean, I just say again and again, it is like magic. You know, we know where our food comes from in an abstract way, even if we've seen a carrot come out of the ground. But to really go there and see it, it's just magic. You see a seed, and you're like, how does this happen from this? And every single time, I'm just blown away by it. So... Well, and, and you also did the photography for this book. Uh, these are, I don't know, fairly photogenic places. They are. They're beautiful. And I think that part of the beauty is in like the, the little bit of the disheveled, messy kind of unkemptness of, of what these smaller farms are. You know, and you, you don't see the pristine rows and you don't see the, you know, flawless, weed-free tracks between, between the crops. But that's sort of what makes them, I think, gives them their beauty. Well, so most of us aren't about to go out and open a restaurant. So, so what do you think? The aside from the the beauty and the the remarkable story that that each of these farms has, what what is the takeaway message that you hope people who might pick up this book might carry with them? I mean, I really hope that it starts a conversation for. I mean, maybe it just is continuing a conversation for many, but starts a conversation too because it is about starting to talk to these farmers. And a, a lot of us have access to great farmers markets in the Midwest. And it's going beyond just going and getting your weekly food there, but starting to talk to the farmers. I mean, we have this incredible gift of having the person who grew our food standing right there before us, and you can ask them any, anything. You know I mean? And I think I want to encourage people to read these stories and, and want to know more about their own farmers um, in their own regions. And I have a two-year-old and she's just entered her why <laughs> stage. And for me, it you know might make my days challenging. But it's I sort of encourage people to go back to that two-year-old state of mind and start asking your farmers why. Why are these eggs blue? Why do you have this many varieties of radishes? Why are you growing the food you're growing? You know, why are you organic? Why aren't you organic? And just start asking that quest- those questions to start learning more. Anna Blessing, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Mitch. Anna Blessing speaking on Lake Effect in 2012 about her book, Locally Grown. You can find all the interviews in our full plate series at wuwm.com. 